I'm Lee. And I'm Lauren. And you're listening to Saturation Italicized on Weagle 91.1 FM. Tune in live at 9 p.m. on Tuesdays for your weekly dose of art and design. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And we are back. Happy Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to Saturation Italicized. I'm your host, Lee. I'm Lauren. And we are back at it today, only four minutes late. We were just, you know, sprinting across campus casually. We were just (laughs) letting the people start their nine o'clock off with a song instead of us talking. A little groove. A A little little groove groove, for the people. Well, what do we have up for us first, Lauren? So we have something that I have had written down for the past, like, three shows. So I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, but over the summer, every time I saw something, like, randomly related to art and design or writing that I thought could work on the pod, I just left it on, like, I made a little note for myself. So this is something that I made a note for, and it's Tiny Love Stories by New York Times. And it's so cute. I'm mostly (laughs) saying this because I think the people need to hear about it. Mm, Love me cute. So cute. No, but some of it's not even like relationship love. Yeah, I don't even. I don't know what this is. I haven't looked over it. So okay. Well, let me tell you. So Modern Love by the New York Times is a week. According to their website, it's a weekly column, a book, a podcast, and a television show about relationship, feelings, betrayals, and revelations. So, like, a lot to cover there. So, they have a podcast, and one of their episodes has Pedro Pascal reading Love Never Means, Love Means Never Having to Say Anything by Jameson Hill. And it's an essay about the desire to communicate despite a debilitating illness. So Mm. for our Pedro Pascal fans that's out there. But Tiny Love Stories is part of Modern Love, and it's a miniature, it's like mini, and it's featuring reader-submitted stories of no more than 100 words. Ooh. And they post, like, about four stories, like, every week or every couple days. Like, there Mm -hmm. doesn't seem to be a consistency in, like, how often they post other that it's pretty regular and it's so wholesome and it inc- it includes like the cutest little illustrations like I don't know what the illustration style is called where it like kind of looks like a kid did it mm. let you me let I me mean? pull it up if you click on the little link in the yeah you'll see it's just so cute it's just these little people and they're like they're not stick drawings, but it's they're like not sketchy. De- yeah, very sketchy. So I've just included some of the most, r- mm. like, just some random ones just to give us something wholesome. Because, like, I know I can speak for both of us. We're just, like, in the trenches of school right now. Yes, for and sure. And I think everybody is at that point right now. So here's just a little something <laughs> wholesome. So I'll give you the title, the 100 words, and then the person's name, and then we can kind of talk about it. But this is The Gift of Loving Parents. Balancing on a wobbly chair, I apply white paint to my parents' bathroom ceiling. When I was younger, feeling guilty about being the reason they left Haiti, I was obsessed with accolades. I believed that my accolades would repay my parents for their sacrifice, leaving their home, learning a new language, installing their retirement. Now I realize that having loving parents is a gift that cannot be repaid. I focus on helping and loving them in the small ways, like stretching up to repaint their ceiling. And that was by Sebastian Byron. That's really sweet. Isn't that just so cute? Like, And you get so much information out of the tiny excerpt. I know. That's what I like. Because, like, that just told me so much about mm-hmm. this person's life. And that was only 100 words mm-hmm. or less. Less is more. Less is more. So I like that it's it's got that, like, word count on it. Okay. This one is so cute. But it's called Spontaneous Grooms. Ooh. In July 2000, San Diego Pride held a mass commitment ceremony for several dozen same-sex couples. Single, I attended to witness all the love. Please turn to your partner and repeat the vows, the minister said. On a whim, I turned to the handsome stranger next to me. You want to do this, I I asked. He said yes. We held hands and repeated Mm. the vows. The last one was, I promise to support you to your highest potential. Afterward, we kissed, and he asked, now that we're married, what's your name? It's now been 23 <gasps> wonderful years of fulfilling our promise. Oh, Isn't that's that so, so sweet. Cute? And it included oh. a picture of them. Are they gay? Yes. Ah! So it's Joseph and Eli, and it was just. Oh, that's so sweet. I was like, that is so cute. It was meant to be because he was there single, it too. Was. They were both there single. I know. 
That's I, really cute. I love seeing things that were like truly meant to be. Yeah. Like that was truly meant mm-hmm. to be. Okay, this one's even shorter. But this one is called A Marriage of Inconvenience. Young and insecure, when we first married in 1978, I said to my husband during an argument, you only stay married to me because I'm convenient. He looked at me with patience, love, and a hint of a smile and said, honey, you're not all that patient. (laughs) Isn't that so cute? Like, they just... They feel so warm. That is warm. Like, if anyone is sad, I just recommend going to Modern Love by New York Is it, like, an Instagram account or just an article? I just found it, like, on that website. Honestly, that's a good question. On the New York Times website. Yeah. Um, But if you look up, like, Modern Love, you can see the tiny little love stories. That's really – that's a great idea. They honestly should just have an Instagram that just posts this. Like, It's very human to New York. That's what I was thinking. Okay, the last one, which I don't remember any of these because it's been so long since (laughs) I, like, copied them. So this is, like, exciting to read each one. But this one is the cusp of adolescence. In the 11th summer in my life, I befriended a local boy on an island I don't know how to say. Tall, soft-spoken, with a mop of red blonde hair that sometimes hid his blue eyes, he was one of the few people that showed me sweet-tempered kindness while my family dissolved into alcoholism. I remember holding hands, the swooping calls of tree frogs, and humid, inky black evenings at the ocean edge, bioluminescent sand sparkling as we kicked it up. On the cusp of adolescence, I felt like a particle of light suspended in a love as platonic and gentle as the moon those summer nights. Oh, Wasn't that just so friendships? Nice? I know. Young so, friendship and how important it is, even if it's not for your entire life. Yeah, no, literally. So I just thought these were so cute. And there's, like, so many more um, on their website. But those were just a couple. That's precious. I know, right? Those are really precious. Yeah, I don't really have anything else to say other than the people should be aware. Well, the writing was beautiful, too. And it goes to show, like, everyone's a writer if you're just writing something you're passionate about. Yeah. Like, and all of these stories are ingrained so deeply in these people's minds. Yeah. That's beautiful. Like, it was all so beautifully worded, even though it was so simple. And there was such a word count. Yeah. Or, like, a small word count, I mean. Very sweet. I know. Thank you, New York Times. I know, literally. Finally, something positive on the news. Oh, the, ugh, I was playing a sound effect that Ray's not even on. Wait. There we go. There we go. There we go. Woo. Thank you, New York Times. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, they, they do be posting fun articles like that. Yeah. Really fun articles. Well, it's about time we head over to a PSA break. Um, hopefully, while we're gone, you meet your little meet cute plat- platonic or romantic love, but not for too long because you got to come back and listen. Right. This is Saturation Italicized on WEGL 91.1 FM. And we are back. Sorry, guys. We just got a terrible, terrible email. Terrible ter- email. Yeah. <laughs> it was bad. I'm just going to pretend like I didn't read it and just get into the fun stuff, which is the pod. I only read the first two sentences, and it was enough for me to go, oh. Yeah, exactly. Senior project stuff. <sighs> the grind never stops. It really doesn't Except ever for stop. the pod. Oh, I'm, and I'm now I'm seeing Teams messages I got. Just, just don't, don't just look. Don't look at the I can't look. I can't look. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you about something much more fun, and that eee. is related to iCarly. Eee. So love iCarly. We tried to watch the iCarly reunion over the weekend. <laughs> Me and Lee and our roommate Liz, shout out Liz. But her apartment has terrible Wi-Fi connection, <laughs> and we couldn't make it through the first like five minutes of the reunion. Yeah, it was it was short lived. It was bad. It was actually just Paramount Plus that wasn't working. After that, Hulu started working. But interesting. Yeah, I don't know why that would matter, but it did apparently. Interesting. <laughs> well, while we were watching, I obviously saw Spencer's iconic s- sculptures, and I was like, "Who makes these?" So I went to the internet and googled. And to my surprise, it's extremely hard to find. Like, you cannot find any information on any of the artists that have made any of Spencer's sculptures. Because obviously, Jerry Trainer's not making them. <laughs> but I did find on Reddit that this guy, who's like a legitimate, very famous artist, his name is Kevin Champ- Champy? Champy, probably. Champy? Champy? Ch- I don't know how Spelled to say it. Spelled like his name. Champy. Yeah. But. 
his name's Kevin, and he's a famous artist, and he created the iconic gummy bear chandelier. So he used over 8,500 mm. gummy bears for that They chandelier. were real gummy bears? Acrylic. Oh, that's Acrylic cool. Acrylic gummy bears. Because that, that would have been crazy if they were real. They would have actually exploded. Literally. <laughs> but it, spent, it says that he spent months making what's called the candelier, like candy, <laughs> candelier, for home furnishing company Jellio. And so he was obviously behind Carly Shay's iconic um, chandelier. So when I started looking at his artwork, because obviously, like, he's not really known for the chandelier. Mm -hmm. He has a lot of other cool stuff. So I started looking at his website. And the best way to describe him is saying that he makes really large artworks, like four, four, three, five feet wide or Mm -hmm. tall. um, And they kind of look like sculptures or mosaics. But then you can, when you look at it closer, you realize it's like tiny like thousands of tiny objects. Mm. So like, for example, he has a portrait of Kobe Bryant that's made of 3,800 little hand-cast basketballs. Ooh, so it's almost cool. like pointillism in the sense that they're like little sections mm-hmm. of color. And then... It's like a half tone. Yeah, it's like a half tone. And it's so interesting because then he made like a portrait of Barbie made of 10,000 hand-cast and sculpted lipsticks. Mm-hmm which I thought was crazy. That's crazy. And he's made, like, I think one of my favorite thing that I saw on his website was he has this series of American flags, and he had, like, one that was made out of 7,000 skulls. Oh. Then he had another one, those 45,000 pieces of candy. Then he had another flag that was made of 17,000 bullets. Mm. And then he made a num- another that had 70,000 prescription drugs. So he's wow. making like a lot of social commentary based on the material that he's using. So I thought we could just discuss kind of like form following function, different art mediums. Because this is an interesting like technique. You don't mm-hmm. see this a lot. You know, there's not like a class in school. It's like, oh, let's like make these mosaic things. No, it's definitely like... Obviously, like, that's been done before to a different degree or whatever, but it's very clear that his uh, his sculptures were made, conceived up by him, and the concept yeah. was conceived up yeah, by him. Yeah, exactly. To suit his purposes. So it's just so interesting. And he's got, like, skulls made of, like, chocolate and flowers. Mm. Like, So he's a big, like, made-of thing is important to his yes, artwork. Like, yes. What is this thing made up of? So it's, like what the image is itself but then yeah what it's made of and i also kind of feel like the number that he uses is important maybe yeah that's probably more relative on like size but like seventy thousand drugs on that flag yeah. is insane no that's crazy and then like like the forty-five thousand pieces of candy mm-hmm. like that is crazy it the candy piece reminds me of the piece made by This is gonna kill me. Um, I can't remember, but you, you're gonna know the piece I'm talking about. It's like the interactive art exhibit where there's like a pile of candy, and there was like, I think as much candy as like this one the artist's lover weighed or something like that. Like the candy oh. pile weighed as much as he would, and the artist's lover was dying of AIDS, and so people would go up and take a piece of candy of this art exhibit and like kind of show oh. how it was like. Yeah. Okay. I think I just pulled that up. I don't know. It's obviously like just the candy usage and the like large amount, but um, it's kind of like I guess a reoccurring Mm -hmm. motif in certain sculptures is like this piece of art is made up of this thing. What does that say about what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Exactly. And like, it's just interesting. I don't know. Just his work just is extremely fascinating to me. Which one was your favorite? Honestly, I don't know because it's so it's got to be like the flag series just Mm -hmm. because like when I scrolled through that particular page on his website, I was just like impacted by every single one reading because it's it shows you like a picture of his work, Mm. the title, which is also important, and Mm. then what it's made up of and how many is in each thing. Mm. So like this is a Trump sculpture of like four thousand middle fingers like (laughs) making his face so like it's just so and 
I'm just so curious about this guy's technique. And kind of like I was telling you earlier, like, fine art just takes so long. Oh, my gosh, yes. Like, I can't even fathom how much time he spent on all these, especially when you're, it's, like, four feet wide. Yeah. It's, like. And you have to plan out, like, what's going to be what color yeah. and how you're going to make the shading. And how many of way. you need of each. Yeah. Fine art is incredibly time-consuming, and I hate when people are like, they see modern modern art, they're like, oh, well, I could have done that, I could have done that. Well, one, obviously, like, you didn't. <laughs> you didn't do it, <laughs> The so. first thing is, yeah, you didn't do well, it. Well, you didn't, but two, it's like, you cannot fathom the amount of time making, like, the what looks like the simplest, like, composition. Yeah, exactly. For, like, most medias, I think, but especially sculpture. Agreed. Uh, plus, like, with sculpture, too, you have to kind of think out, like, more on your left side, like, left side brain, I mean, just physically how do these things work yeah, and how like they interact with each other. Yeah. So I think it's funny that this guy's, like, a big political artist, and he was on iCarly. I know. Isn't that interesting? Like, the gummy bears is, like, I can see how it was made from him in the sense that he just has, like, a bunch of little small pieces interacting, mm-hmm. but it does feel very pg <laughs> compared to like the rest of his stuff so could you find out anything about any of the other sculptures in iCarly no none of them like literally like I would see like kind of one-off things like I saw one or two things on reddit but it was like unconfirmed everywhere else mm-hmm. and the, I know you said there was a youtube video but I did not feel like watching a video I was listening to my music there's a really really long youtube video by Quentin Reviews and he has multiple of them and they're it's like maybe three like eight hour to 12 hour maybe 14 hour long videos a deep diving into iCarly and he does a segment and I can't remember on which one and it would have taken like you literally forever to find it um but he does a segment where he also tried to go and find who did the art in iCarly and he and he like deep dives in these videos that's why they're like 14 hours long and he couldn't and I was like if that this guy who's now like kind of like low-key the theologist of iCarly can't find who made these these sculptures it's kind of lost to time I know but it's like why is there information not out there no it should have been because like the the sculptures they were, were so a huge good. part yeah and they were good I keep thinking about the butter one oh, I was literally gonna bring the up I wish you could find the butter one is so iconic and the the moving parts one is yes. crazy too that one's good this uh, should be accessible information. I, even if Those it's are just, like, one Wikipedia page with, like, the person's yeah. name in the art. Or just, like, just, the set designers, maybe, and maybe get put into set or prop yeah. design. But, like, but there's still, no way just, like, some person that, who graduated in, like, prop design. I was going to say, that feels, like, yeah. out of the scope of prop design. Would know how to make a... Butter sculpture. Literally, exactly. <laughs> or, like... A sculpture of like however many moving things like that's not yeah it's kind of an artist's brain that's why I wish it was accessible like as a kid I thought everything was so cool but I didn't have any interest in like who made it but now I'm like who made it and I can't find it iCarly in general the the set in there was kind of sick and their props no it was too I would have killed to live in that apartment have you seen the stuff about like how their apartment doesn't like actually work when you think about how apartments the are layout. set up. yeah it just yeah. doesn't the, make any sense the the door like behind the kitchen that goes like nowhere yes. but also goes somewhere yes people just like pop out from there but it's like where does that go there's apparently like like three or four entrances to this one apartment complex and also the elevator or like into one, the apartment not the complex the elevator can also apparently stop you into people's living rooms. I know that really confuses me. It doesn't happen in Freddy's. It's only in Carly's. But it doesn't make sense. Like clearly they're not like sending anyone up because there's episodes mm. where they're surprised to see people enter yeah. through the elevator. It doesn't make any sense. Maybe I should have done the segment on the layout because like now that we were bringing all this up, like it is weird. Another fun sitcom sitcom layout thing: the Seinfeld apartment. Have you seen Seinfeld before? Yeah. So the kitchen. If you if that was a real apartment, the kitchen would block the hallway out of the apartment. Oh. Because when you open that door and like you're supposed to turn there, he would be at like the end of the hall or whatever. Where you would turn would be blocked off from the kitchen by the kitchen of his apartment. Oh, so it just doesn't make any sense. I s- I'm looking at the layout. Yeah. Right now and I see exactly yeah. It doesn't what make any saying. sense. It's just it's a fun little tidbit. 
But you know whose sitcom layout makes perfect sense? Who? Monica's and Friends. No, it does not. Well, in terms of, like, <laughs> physics and logistically, physics, she doesn't yes. have doors that just don't go anywhere or, like... That's true. Like, if you turn out of her apartment, like, you're not going to hit anything. But yes. It's huge. It's huge. It's huge. It's really nice. It's two... It's two-bedroom. And they say, like, oh, it's rent-controlled. It's rent-controlled. But that still doesn't make sense. Oh, no, that... Her being able to afford that makes no sense, and Rachel being able to afford that as a coffee girl makes coffee girl no sense. And then she was literally like, she didn't have a job for part yeah. of the series. See, that part doesn't make sense. <laughs> and at the beginning, she's like, York. "My grandma owned it or whatever." It's like, mm. but still, it's like your grandma was not getting this on something you could afford either. Literally, yeah, it's way too nice. Interesting. Just a little sitcom. Just a little, sitcom. a little off topic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Kevin Champ Champney. I feel so bad. I don't know how to say Champney. his name. Champney. I'm sure it's like, like French or something. I need to have like certain phonics I don't have. I oh, did you know that if you get there's like a <laughs> this is so off topic. There's like an oral surgery people get with their tonsils or something. I don't think it's getting your tonsils what? removed. But there's some oral surgery people have to get that it actually takes away your ability to say R in French. So I don't know how you're supposed to say R in French. What if it is getting your tonsils out? Because I got it removed. So Did what you? if it's just like I can't pronounce things because I don't have my tonsils? I don't know, though. I feel like. Because that doesn't sound right. Yeah, no, I feel like that's way too wide of a surgery for it to be that. But, I mean, I guess I could be wrong. I saw this on, like, a tweet. But it was a person saying, like, it was a person saying, like, Y'all, I was getting this surgery done on my mouth, and they, my dentist kept telling me how I wouldn't be able to speak French after this. And it was like, okay, I don't speak French. It doesn't yeah, matter. Exactly. <laughs> so I don't think that would have been a lie, but also, like, it's the internet. Right. That was my days before I deleted Twitter and TikTok. And I had fun. Wait, you deleted TikTok? Yeah. <gasps> I deleted Twitter oh my and TikTok. Gosh, I thought I told you. Us. I know. Chronically offline. Period. Well, it's time for a little PSA break, and then we will get right back here with a little debate of if poetry is dead or not. Don't go anywhere. This is Saturation Italicized on WGL 91.1 FM. Professors should send class emails (laughs) during the workday, okay? We cannot be scared this much on a Tuesday night. At 9.30? Who is? Why are you sitting out an email at 9.30 that I should be worried about? I think he's just trying to scare literally he's working working. (laughs) he did it well happy october be worried well speaking of scary things lauren (laughs) we're about to discuss if poetry's dying or not i know that is a scary thing because i didn't think that it was well i have i have a lot of like mixed opinions on it um this is good but i have a starting question for you okay what was the poem you had to memorize for school during your poetry unit if you had to memorize one. See, I just don't even think I had to memorize one. Like, Ooh. the one that's coming to mind is the preamble. And that's, that's not, not even a, a poem. poem. But I did have to memorize that. But you never had to memorize a poem? I don't think so. Oh, that's actually really sad. Did you sad. have to do that for, yeah. like, like, a, like, a normal English class? Or was this because you went to the art high school? No, this is, I'm, for so for this segment, I'm only going to be re- talking about my experience in the public school system because it seems more important. Okay. And so, yeah, I had to memorize that. What in, grade was, yeah. I think sixth grade I had to memorize uh, The Road Less mm-hmm. Traveled by Robert Frost. But I know that was my poem. Okay. It might have been seventh or eighth grade, but I think like, it was I remember sixth. reading that poem around that time. But I don't remember having to memorize anything. I'm almost certain I had to memorize it. Because I, I feel like at one point I had it memorized. But kind of funny you say you didn't have to memorize an article. Interesting. So, because that, that's going to come up later. So I read a long, like, um, like research article, not mm-hmm. just computer article, titled Is Poetry Di- Dying? Published by Stephen Mintz, who is a professor of history at the University of Texas at Austin. He argued the days of students memorizing various famous poems have ended, and though many adults still share a love for the art form, it is more more widely renowned now as a niche interest than as something everyone kind of dives into, like we would essay writing or uh, reading Shakespeare or something. Yeah. Um, 
crazy, crazy, crazy that you didn't have to memorize one because when I was writing out this article or writing out this topic, I was thinking like when he said the days of of kids having to memorize these poems is over, I was thinking, well, this is definitely going to apply to like people younger than us. Yeah. Um, Because it's, I mean, like. I thought if I'm having to memorize a poem in Pell City, Alabama, like other, yeah, other kids no, that's are crazy. too, but maybe not. Fact, though, is that the share of adults who said that they have read a poem, not plural, one poem, not for school or work, is 12% of adults oh my gosh. in 2017. That is a third less than it was in 1992. So it's steadily declining, like pretty heavily. Okay, but... I don't know. Are you touching how like music is poetry? We will. Yeah. Okay. We so will. I'll just it. save my opinion for that. But okay. Yeah. Continue. Th- see, my opinion kind of changed as I read this article, or like my Fair. reasoning for my opinions okay. kind of changed. So, um, but he he went pretty in depth with this. So, okay. certain poetry outlets, such as the National Endowment of the Arts, claimed that 28 million Americans and two thirds of women had read a poem in the last year, and CNN proclaims that poetry is experiencing a new golden age. But when I thought about that, I thought, what exactly are we referring to here? Yeah. What golden age are we talking about? Are we talking about Rupee Carr? Are we talking about Twitter poetry conceived of and posted in less than a five-minute time span? Mm. Is that the golden age we're talking about? I feel, I feel like that's what they're talking about. In fact, you know, when you ask the average adult to uh, reference a poet are they even going to be able to say a poet from the 20th century or are we going to have to reach further back and maybe say a poet from the 19th century like Poe or Tennyson or Emerson like some of these like Mm. very classic fundamental poets those are some of the last like widely known poets that the average adult mm, is probably going to be able to call to maybe not even being able to refer to like Langston Hughes or Allen Ginsberg or something like that Um, One article Mintz, the author, nodded to about this topic was an opinion piece published in the New York Times entitled Poetry Died 100 Years Ago This Month. This article blames T.S. Eliot for poetry's fall from grace um, with his poet The Wasteland, which appeared in 1922, signaling the triumph of modernist poetry in English. Eliot, according to the essay's author, Matthew Walther, Walt Her, not only made poetry more academic, obscure, and abstruse, stripping it of rhyme and meter, but he broke the link between poetry and nature, erasing poetry's concern with the transcendent and the sublime. In Walter's words, the culprit in poetry's increasing marginalization is not bad pedagogy or formal experimentation, but rather the very conditions of modern life, which has demystified and alienated us from the natural world. So there's a couple of things about this quote that I agreed with and a couple of things that I did not agree with. Mm -hmm. For instance, I don't think poetry is made by rhyme and meter. I don't think that poetry is uh, directly connected to nature, even though that's kind of how it started off. It's kind of cliche now. It is kind of cliche, and it's really hard to write a poem about nature that doesn't just sound like, la-di-da-di-da, great tree, so pretty, you know? My poetry teacher in the spring, like, straight up did not want us to write about nature because it was so overdone. That's so interesting because a lot of, you know... Uh, proponents of maybe more classical poem poetry would argue that that is what makes a poem. I don't really agree with that. We'll talk about okay. <laughs> that more in a sec. Um, but I wasn't the only person who kind of argued against that quote. Mm-hmm. Um, well, before I get there, let me do point out specifically about that quote. He brings up modern life. He brings up modern life has demystified us and alienated us from the natural world, a.k.a. poetry like a naturalistic entity or art form we take. I really found that interesting. We'll touch more on that in a second. Okay. Um, But I wasn't the only person who pushed or who disagreed with this um, article that the New York Times posted that um, Mintz touched on. A lot of people brought up these very, very, like, well-renowned poets who are, like, inarguably talented, such as, like, Adrian Rich, and Sexton, Gwendolyn mm-hmm. Brooks, who all have poetry that I absolutely adore and who are all quote-unquote modernist poets. Yeah, I learned about all of those in my poetry class. They're all wonderful. Yeah, they were all good. Really good, especially Anne Sexton. I really liked Anne Sexton. Yeah, I really liked hers too. So all, others also argued against the Times article because the time, the New York Times had posted earlier that month when that uh, article was published about a poetry festival, the Urdu Poetry Festival, which had over 
300,000 amateur and professional poets take part in it. So many. How can it be dead? How could it be dead? But we can't argue poetry does not exist in our world like it used to. Like poetry definitely used to have like as classist as this statement is, it was widely regarded as like an academic thing. There was kind of like, um, you know, a more high class like essence if you understood poetry mm-hmm. if you could write poetry and I'm totally fine with it not being like a classism thing anymore but it does make me sad that it's not regarded as like something as influential as music or visual art nowadays yeah, definitely um so others myself included also rejected the idea that writing it writing about nature is a prerequisite for poetry and in fact how could you not agree that poetry lives on through music I personally chose to point out Kendrick Lamar, Mitski, and Bob Dylan, as well as a wide array of other artists, speak poems through their songs. And I specifically chose those three because Kendrick Lamar, Mitski, and Bob Dylan could not make more different music. And they all have so beautifully, beautifully written lyrics that are poems, especially Mitski. Like, she doesn't try to rhyme a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful, beautiful. You could write them down, read them as a poem. They, they are a poem. Um, more on the critics. <laughs> Because we kind of have to break down this first article to get to the meat of the next one. Um, Critics also accuse the op-ed's author of ignoring evidence of poetry's enduring popularity, kind of like we talked about a second ago, including the three million visits to the poetry.org website um, in that year and conflating poetry with sentimental romanticism, offering an elegiac wistfulness for a vanished past and implicit scorn of the present. And failing to recognize that a host of poets continue to transform the world through art, through rap, for example, and graffiti tags. So kind of here what he's talking about is, um, you know, old heads are always going to say like, oh, in my day, this thing was better. It's the same kind of thing for poetry. Finally, the author of the Times piece either chose to ignore or does not respect the growing black, Latino, indigenous and LGBTQ plus voices and more who have brought new kinds of narratives to poems and hybrid forms that cross over into drama and music. Uh, quote, poets like Robert Haas, Louis Gluck, Sonia Sanchez, Orlando White have all plowed forward creating new sounds and images in this medium. Like every art, the rise of new forms and critics, the rise of new forms have critics and old heads rolling in their graves, but does not necessarily indicate the death of it, rather a rise of new artistic forms. However, as much as I disagree with the reasonings the Times article suggested for the death of poetry, it is very clear, at the very least, that poetry no longer holds the value it once did in our society. I mean, you'll be between a heart of rock, you'll be between a rock and a hard place trying to find a modern poem review or poetry publication in major popular magazines or newspapers today. And that's, again, something I didn't think about. Poetry used to be so accessible that you would literally see poetry poetry being published in your daily newspaper you'd see reviews of poems and in, in um something like the new york times or something or something smaller than that uh, a published publication smaller than that but we aren't really seeing that unless you're seeking out uh magazines or yeah. literary journals that specifically specialize in writing but even more often poetry specialization mm-hmm. um so why did this topic strike such a nerve with me why do i still feel like one it's a really, really terrible thing if poetry yeah. dies and our respect for poetry dies, or at least the way we understand it, you know, <coughs> Rupi Carr. Why, why is that so important to me? Dang. I made a list. I had the article help me with the list, but I made a list. Period. Um, one, because it speaks to the fear that we are becoming a nation of bores who are increasingly incapable of deep reading and appreciating language and discourse in their beauty and complexity. Two, because a sense that grade schools and colleges now downplay and even denigrate the arts in competition to quote marketable fields like business sciences technology over the realm of culture three because poetry now competes with other simpler easier to consume commercial forms of expression that don't involve the intricacies of rhyme rhythm meter simile sound subtext and metaphor as one comment read as Don DeLillo pointed out in his 1985 novel, we are sinking deeper and deeper into an era of white noise. That's really powerful. I know. We hate complexity. Four, 
because a culture of immediate gratification emphasizes stimulation and excitement over more complex and ambiguous experiences, fun over joy, sensationalism, sexualization, and eye and ear candy over things deeper, subtler, and more sophisticated. Ours, after all, is a culture of dopamine and adrenaline. Think TikTok. You're going to, if you have 15 minutes and you want to get de-stressed, you're not going to sit down and be like, I'm going to write a poem about my stressful day. I'm going to read a poem about a stressful day. You're going to open up TikTok. I get it. I get it. Yeah. So, ooh, I guess I should, yeah, we'll, we'll pause it there for a PSA break on why I feel it's very important we don't let poetry die. But also, when you're reading, to me, when I read uh, his list of why that was important to him and kind of, like, made my own, it made it obvious that poetry is dying in some ways because you can't read these yeah. things and disagree with them anymore because yeah. you can't say, no, poetry is still more important than that. It's not, sadly. But why that is, we're going to touch on after a few words from our PSAs. Don't go anywhere. This is Saturation Italicized on WGL 91.1 FM. And we're back with our riveting conversation on Is Poetry Dead? (laughs) Is it? Let's find out. According to the article, it is. Kind of. Well, according to the article, it was. But I have different. We're we're not done with our opinions. Yeah, we're not done. We have opinions to spare, okay? So we last left off two minutes ago talking about why it was important for poetry not to die, but also how those things make it evident that poetry is dying because you Mm -hmm. can't argue with those explanations anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's keep going. I read a lot of comments regarding what others thought about what others thought led to the death of poetry. Many referenced the disintegration of writing rhyming lines with coherent themes, while others, and that was in quotes, by the way, while others pointed to the divide between what scholars referred to as art and what the masses referred to as art. Finally, what died, ran another comment, is the desire to read poems of others. There's no culture of poetry, no market or viable venue. Something about the word market really stuck out to me. Poetry isn't rewarded fiscally as much as other art forms. Visual art and tax returns, the ultra wealthy and their connection to high class art, um, as well as, sorry, I lost my spot, as well as uh, music, for instance, which supports wealthy big name record labels whose profits will reach billions. Poetry doesn't have an outlook like that unless we're looking at poetry books, which again, are not going to sell like a million dollar art piece or a tour of Beyonce would. It's just not going to happen. And that does not accurately paint. And does that not accurately paint a portrait of the biggest issue in poetry in the world at large, a need for monetary value to validate the existence of art. There are clearly still very young, talented voices writing poetry yet go to your nearest bookstore and see how many shelves in the poetry section are filled with poetry classics whose profit mostly doesn't go to the long dead poet or his family. It's going to go to the publishing houses. Our world is not set up to reward creativity. That does not further our capitalistic system. Of course, there are standout cases such as Rupi Carr, whose poems reward line-level reading that offer no depth to uncover through the stanzas. While her experiences that she writes about are weighty within themselves, the poems are snippets of critical thoughts, leaving no room for interpretation or regard for the medium as a whole. That was my words, by the way. That is completely my opinion. I want you to do, like, the, the vine boom. Like, mic drop, period. It does not reward creativity. for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) In turn, her poetry reflects the values our society share today. Immediate gratification, short short hits of dopamine, and movement to and movement to the next task before processing the current event. Further evidence of depersonalization to keep our status keep our society at status pro. Go, go, go. Don't sit, don't understand, don't enjoy. Spend money on the next dopamine rush and keep the cycle going. You're not contributing to the economy if you are sitting, reading, writing, or contemplating deeper themes in poetry. Dang. Can you do the vine boom again? (laughs) So, no. Poetry is not dead, in my opinion. In fact, all of my favorite poems have been written in this century, typically within the last 30 years. But we are pushed against it in our daily life. I would like to leave you all with one last quote from the article. Language's power to evoke awe and transcendence once manifests not only in poems, but in religious and political oratory as well. 
That is surely a loss we should all lament because a society without a capacity for awe, transcendence, sublimity, and self-reflection truly is a society of hollow men. Wow. And that was my research. Yeah, I know. (laughs) So do you think poetry's dead, Lauren? So I think you brought up like a lot of good points like about the community. Like there's not really Mm -hmm. like, I don't know, like, if I want to read poetry, like, I literally got to go to poetry.org or whatever. Yeah. Like, there's not really anywhere else. Mm-mm. I do find, like, some good poetry on Instagram, but it's, like, yeah. people I follow that have, like, found these this poetry mm-hmm. from, like, elsewhere. It's not necessarily theirs. We're following the poets themselves. Right. And I'm, like, so but I don't really know not how they're like, finding That's it. not a community. Right. Exactly. Not a community. And I think it's, it's definitely... It, I don't, I'm definitely biased in saying this, mm-hmm. but I don't understand how people don't prioritize, like, art and language. Like, it can, it's so much of what my senior project is. It's mm-hmm. all about how, like, art relates to emotions and vice versa. So, mm-hmm. like, poetry as an art form, like, I don't know. I think one thing, a comment I read uh, that I didn't put into this was, all stem and no art makes Jack a dull boy, which was just a lone comment left alone, which I think also really like ties into, well, we're being pushed through a very, very like digital age, but like I said, a very monetary age. And so kids at large are being pushed to these things that uh, will get them more money in the future. And that's like a thought on everyone's mind. And even young kids, if they have access to the internet, they know the economy is not doing well. They know they need to get a job that pays really well. No one's going to say, like, I want to be a poet. No, literally. In these circumstances. You know that's not going to get you anything. I mean, yeah, it's going to get it's not going to get you money. But Especially when, like, the school systems are no longer pushing poetry mm-hmm. as, like, an art form or as, like, a, a release from yeah. daily life, I think. Like, as, as little as art funding we have now, we at least still have somewhat art programs still propped up in high schools and stuff but mm-hmm. that that doesn't exist for writing it, uh, there might yeah. be a writing club here and there like maybe but as far as like public funding goes for like strengthening our future writers it, it just doesn't exist yeah you're making a good point I feel like when you were talking about like memorizing that poem in sixth mm-hmm. grade I don't remember having to like memorize one but I feel like that was probably about the age that poetry was introduced. Mm-hmm. And my, I've vivid, I don't remember my perf- my teacher like any other day except this specific day that I'm about to mention. Mm. But she, the way she introduced us to poetry was she showed us lyrics by Katy Perry. Oh. Specifically the one where she's like, do you ever feel like a plastic bag? Mm. She was like, that's a simile. But then she started oh, showing well, us like, yeah. like, Okay, no, I get it. I get it's it, not get like it, yeah. the. She's not saying it's like the best, yeah. but she's saying that like poetry is evident and like a lot of mm-hmm. different things. But like we said off the pod, like music absorbs the poetry. Mm-hmm. Like poetry isn't standing alone anywhere. And it's like getting absorbed by something that makes money. Yeah. Which there's like a, it's like an ulterior like motive yeah. kind of. It's like well, here's the poetry, but like. It's really for the song. Yeah. And I don't want any of this to come off like me saying like, like if you don't, if you seek out good poetry, it exists. It exists everywhere. There's a lot. Like poetry is everywhere too. Like in little like beautiful sayings you see written on the Mm -hmm. side of a building or something like Mm -hmm. that. Like poetry still exists, but this community that once existed around poetry or like the regard poetry had in society it it doesn't exist anymore I feel like for me like sometimes I found myself recently wanting to read poetry Mm -hmm. but kind of in my mind I have a specific kind of poetry I want to read and I can't find it like it's hard to find it's not like it's super accessible I feel yeah what do you even look up yeah like I don't know how to look up what I'm like describing or like what I want to feel yeah, I feel like my favorite poems that I've read have either been given to me by, like, teachers in the past mm-hmm. or by my friends or something. But, mm-hmm. like, again, like, it's not – even if you go on poetry.org, you can't, like, type in I, – I don't know. It's not, like, that database is, like, yeah. working right. in that kind of way. Yeah. I don't know. I guess you could, like, if you want a poem about grief, you find a poem about grief. But you also couldn't say, like, I like this style of poetry. Right. I yeah, want exactly. This, you know? 
So I feel like, and when you said like, you know, the whole debate is poetry dying, I have felt like in the last couple of months, like a distance mm-hmm. between me and my writing that really? has, pro- I feel like I've, I feel the largest distance that I felt mm. since I like started writing. Cause it's just not, I don't know. Poetry just feels like it's all the way over there. Like <laughs> it's all the way in like California and like, I'm just here. You're in Alabama. I'm in freaking Auburn. <laughs> like, Well, I think that's something too, like, that I did touch on very, very briefly is um, one reason we can look at the death of poetry is the uh, distance between between like what higher academics refer to as poetry or art. Yeah. So it's like you may feel that way. You may feel like poetry is so, so far away from you because you've been told what, one, what poetry is, how so it should true. sound, like, and also like how inaccessible it should be for it to be good poetry. Yeah. So... I think, you know, just the way we talk about poetry, too, and the people who do still care about poetry and who are, like, professors or poets or, you know, like, good at their craft, um, like, uh, this sounds bad. Are, like, it's very pretentious. It's a pretentious art now, for sure. Yeah. And so you get, one, you get one professor who's like, this is what poetry is. Kind of like we were talking about yeah. earlier. Like, you have a professor who says, like, don't write nature, don't yeah. write love. Okay, you're now being told, like, that whatever you do, did have about that isn't a poem it's so subjective like Mm -hmm. I feel like everyone that's like into poetry has like strong a feeling feelings about like what poetry is or isn't yeah yeah I completely agree and I think at the end of the day it's like I maybe we just need I guess back to Duchamp (laughs) we had the whole conversation what is art because of the fountain piece and then I think uh the wasteland by uh Elliot, yeah, I was about to say What's-His-Face. The Wasteland by Elliot, like, kind of sparked that conversation, but I think instead just kind of created maybe a divide in the poetry world and didn't necessarily spark a conversation where everyone kind of, like, comes to this consensus that, like, art is this thing and it's everything and it's context. But now it's, like, poetry still just exists very separately for different poets, I guess. I feel like I'm going back to the quote you said earlier about like all stem and no art Mm -hmm. because I feel like even the stem people I know in my life like they need like a creative thing yeah even if they don't realize that's what that is Mm -hmm. because like they don't view I feel like some people don't view art as a necessity the way Mm -hmm. that like art art people are like I need art to breathe yeah I feel like everyone needs art to breathe, but mm-hmm. the STEM people don't get that. But mm-hmm. I can look and be like, oh, well, that, like, artist you're listening to, like, is art. You're just yeah. not, like, putting two and two together. Well, there's definitely, like, st- STEM people who grew up in families that were, like, art isn't important. It mm-hmm. doesn't add anything. Yeah. And you yeah. kind of internalize that. And I feel like we both yeah. were really lucky to grow up in families yeah. that did Like, fostered art. that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't... If my family hadn't have, like, nurtured my love for yeah. poetry at, and writing in general at such a young age, like, I would be That's a, a really point. depressed person. Yeah. And there are definitely so. kids and people and adults out there I even that. who feel that way yeah. because we're told that art doesn't have value because it doesn't have monetary gain for the most part. So hmm. just something to think about. I think yeah. at the end of the day – the way I end up feeling about it, like, and kind of what I want to close off with for my point of view anyway, is just, like, we have created such a society. We've created such a society that's built around profit all the time. Not, that's no, like, that's no mark on any, like, average person, individual person, because, like, that's how it has to be. Like, that's how you live, is you make money, you spend money, like, you wake up, you think about money, it's constant. Yeah. And so I don't blame anyone. But when we've created a system like this, like we are inadvertently taking out art from our world because art directly conflicts with that idea that you have That's to make something point. for a specific, like physical monetary purpose. Yeah. So. I think that's just what I want to close off with. Fair enough. Yeah, I don't really know what I want to close off. I mean, the thing, like what you just said reminded me of a point but now it's gone out of my (laughs) head so like I don't really yeah everyone needs art everyone needs art even if it's dying you like Mm -hmm. every 
single listener that's listening needs art they Mm -hmm. just like maybe they don't recognize it or they're like pushing it but like you need art you need art so badly um and my hope is to any person who might be listening right now who's ever thought about writing poetry and you think you're bad at it and you think it doesn't matter it does matter and there was a letter I read one time next week I will come back with this author and I will come back with the letter because I can't remember it but he uh urged these like I think middle schoolers maybe who wrote to them to write a poem um and to like work hard on it like don't just sit down and be like my day was good uh I like the day that's my poem being sit down write a poem feel good about it and then throw it away is this the one that's like a famous artist yeah or famous I know what you're talking about is it Kurt Von Hold on. Mm, that's right. No, like I'm I I that's see right. what you're talking about. I hope anyone out there who wants to write poetry, please do. It's important. It's important for you. I think it I think it is. I think it is. Oh, 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 do you find the letter? Yeah, yeah let's did. just read the letter. Okay, that's okay, a perfect okay. way to end. Let me let me like let me pull it up. <laughs> okay. So, I'm not looking at the context, but like I believe this was like it says it's like a high school, these high school teachers and like students or something. Like, I think they sent out like a bunch of letters and he's Kurt Vonnegut. He was the only one who replied. Yeah. So he said, I thank you for your friendly letters. You sure know how to cheer up a really old geezer, 84, in his sunset years. I don't make public appearances anymore because I now resemble nothing so much as an iguana. What I had to say to you, moreover, would not take long to wit. Practice any art, music, singing, dancing, acting, drawing, painting, sculpting, poetry, fiction, essays, reportage, no matter how well or badly, not to get money or fame, but to experience becoming, that's underlined, to find out what's inside of you, to make your soul grow. Seriously, I mean, starting right now, do art and do it for the rest of your lives. Draw a funny or nice picture of Miss Lockwood, who wrote the letter, and give it to her. Dance home after school and sing in the shower and on and on. Make a face in your mashed potatoes. Pretend you're Count Dracula. Here's an assignment for tonight, and I hope Miss Lockwood will flunk you if you don't do it. Write a six-line poem about anything but rhymed. No fair tennis without a net. Make it as good as you possibly can, but don't tell anyone what you're doing. Don't show it or recite it to anyone, not even your girlfriend or your parents or whatever, or Miss Lockwood, okay? Tear it up into teeny-weeny pieces and discard them into widely separated trash receptacles. <laughs> you will find that you have already been gloriously rewarded for your poem. You have experienced becoming, learned a lot more about what's inside you, and have made your soul grow. grow. God bless you all. That's so cute. Made your soul grow. I'm, like, about to cry. I feel like... That ties into, like, the whole idea of, like, make art to make it, not Mm -hmm. for, like, necessarily the finished product, but just, like, the act of, like, creating something Mm -hmm. is so therapeutic. People don't realize that, like, art creation is literally, like, one of the coolest things humans can do. Creating art is beautiful. it wasn't there, and then it's there. And and it's the reward of, like, having a physical thing, even if it's a poem you printed on a sheet of paper or wrote down on a sheet of paper it's like that did not exist it has yeah. never existed before you decided it should exist and it does it's so it's so powerful and it's an extension of you and it's an extension of your soul yeah and your soul became and with that i think we're gonna leave y'all yeah <laughs> <laughs> i had a wonderful time discussing the death or not so death of poetry um join us next week Tuesdays at 9 p.m. for Saturation Italicized. And finally, War Damn Eagle. Thank you for listening. This was Saturation Italicized with your hosts, Lauren and Lee. Tune in next week at 9 p.m. on Tuesdays for more art and design discussion. And follow our Instagram at saturation.italicized. War Eagle. What's the weather like? You got a window? Open it. W-E-G-L, Auburn. I want that ball crawling arachnid prosecuted. I want him strung up by his web. 